it, it's obvious to any reader of the Bible that Scripture is focusing on ethical and spiritual realities. God said, look at this. This is the most important stuff of human beings. And he left to us to figure out how these, the broadly speaking, two aspects of human life are, are, are organically related to each other. In fact, I think what we want to say is that the ethical spiritual emerges out of the earlier biopsychosocial aspects of, of life that uh, are a part of our human development. Welcome to the Pastor Theologian Show. Today, we have part three of our conversation with Eric Johnson, who's a professor of Christian psychology at Houston Baptist University. If you didn't get a chance to listen to part one and part two of this conversation, those are the episodes immediately previous to this one, so you can go ahead and check those out. But without further ado, let's get right back into our conversation with Eric, where we left off last week. My long-term goal would be that uh, that North American psychology, maybe we could say, you know, the field of psychology will be a pluralist psychology, yeah. based on different worldviews that have uh, that are developing their own psychology. Fascinating, fascinating. So, so it, it, you just helpfully distinguished these three different schools of thought, um, but in the middle there uh, are integrationists that are different than Christian psychologists. That you would represent, kind of tease that out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, well, the, the and, word, I, and I, we, we, I, I'm a graduate Wheaton College, so when I hear integrationist, I think that's what I want to be. Well, <laughs> so, of course, of course. It's but deep. I love what you've done. I love your your work. So, yeah. but, and I'm not even sure I totally get the distinction between yeah. the two schools of thought. Maybe it's it's so subtle. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but but I think the ideal of integration I still cherish. Okay. Uh, I think it goes back to the Bible. I think it goes back to to uh, Augustine, um, the, the, and and the, you know the founders. I, I would say of the er, you know early integration thinking. Arthur Holmes being a prime example yeah. at Wheaton, and and in in my field, a person like Gary Collins, uh, who taught at Trinity. Uh, okay. Um, these these are greats, and I still would identify myself with with their kind of work. Uh, the but the but the word integration has become so ubiquitous that that it's lost its meaning. I think okay. you have to find out. Well, what exactly do you mean by that? Because every Christian college uses it, you know, as as kind of their banner. Yeah. And when you find, you know, the the problem that I think we alluded to earlier uh, is that when we when we when when our faculty have to learn about their discipline and get their masters and doctorates at secular schools that assume naturalism it unavoidably shapes, it socializes them Absolutely. into a way of making sense of the discipline so that when we come, when they come back and, and they, they want to, you know, most Christian faculty would say, of course I want to do integration, but how do you do that? Uh, I think we've not done a good job as a Christian community, as a Christian academy to give our faculty the tools they need in biblical theological studies and Christian philosophical work, okay. at least in, 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 a, in a relatively rudimentary introductory way to equip them to do the kind of integration that we, yes. that we want, that, that we, that we uh, you know, kind of talk about. So that what when I now what I what ends up happening in a lot of programs is you know they might even have an integration capstone course, but 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 in it's that an course, it's a capstone course. It's, it's a, not okay, the warp and woof of in, the 
That's the point. Approach. Because what you find in that kind of a course is they explain why we didn't integrate the rest of the program. <laughs> I, you know, is, is yes. sort of the irony uh, uh, in that. And and so you really have to go into the department and, and into the syllabi and into the classes to really find out what kind of integration is going on. So I know that there's great folks that, that do integration. But, but in addition to that, the field has also paradoxically moved – I think so that people that 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 do integration now in some of the great say in my field some of the great uh, Christian graduate programs there's so much pressure to conform to the strong requirements of APA at that level oh, okay, yes. doctoral programs that they're less willing to be sectarian and use the label Christian and they're more willing to use the word religious and spiritual and you know the students that 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 might take their uh, go enter their programs are not necessarily Christian and so there's become a softening of what is actually done in a lot of integration programs. So I believe in the, in the concept. Um, I, and I you're, it it's almost a ideal. subset. What, Christian psychology, am I getting, would this be fair? It's almost a subset or it's a kind of strong integrationist where you're the, taking I, I, biblical I theological label. categories uh, uh, maybe it's not fair to say intrinsic. more seriously. Intrinsic. Okay, so weave so it is, into the method. This is the. I think this is a pretty universal difference between the two groups. Yes, it's the starting point for psychology. Okay, where do you start? Do you begin with psychology as it currently is, and then a science only the, approach? Well, even in, though in you come way, with robust Christian commitments exactly. and a and a and a commitment to integration, nevertheless, yes. it's a science only approach. Is yeah, that? Well, yeah, there, there's there. That's that's maybe I think for. Yeah, I can think of right now of great integration folks who would say we want a Christian worldview to yeah, okay, everything that we okay, do, okay. but the science is the way that it is, and we need to respect those rules. And so we're going to accept the definition of psychology that we've been given by our culture. And there's there there whereas and in kind of position it in yes. And so then worldview. integration becomes sort of a we're not going to do anything that contradicts the Christian faith. Uh, we're going to have we're going to bring Christian values into the science as it is. But we're going to start with Christian, psychology as it is, and then and then seek to be consistent with a Christian worldview. Okay, the Christian psychology and, and I would say the transformational psychology approaches. What they say is we no, we have to begin at least in a sort of a ideal sense with what what's a Christian version look like? What what's the assumptions about human beings that we're yeah. made in the image of God, that we're sinners, that we're redeemable in Christ? Uh, what are the resources that will help us to understand those categories, those fundamental uh, creation, fall, redemption kind of categories so that we can at least get to first base or so with what is a the the, the uh, essentials of a Christian yeah. psychology. We're going to start there. And then, of course, we're going to need to read the best out there. But we're going to screen it more uh, – more, um, Thoroughly, more pervasively, I think, yeah. if we start from a Christian worldview standpoint and and uh, allow biblical and theological studies to be a part of the science. So for mm. us, the Bible is a source of knowledge, whereas according, obviously from naturalism, that would not be sensible. Yeah. But I think that's a, a very important distinctive of a Christian that's version very of helpful. the science. That's very helpful. Where, where would one go, where would a listener go to find out more? Kind of if their interest is been peaked. They don't know a ton about Christianity and psychology and integration and Christian, you know, all this sort of stuff. Where might they go? You already mentioned the Five Views book you edited. That's a, a great resource to yeah, pick up. Do you have other? the books that I've written have, you know, addressed these topics. Uh, uh, John Cohen Todd Hall wrote a wonderful book called Psychology and the Spirit. That's a great book. 
book. He, okay. uh, John Coe is uh, the director of the Institute for Spiritual Formation at Biola. Todd Hall is that oh, yeah. me. So it's a very interesting uh, combination of perspectives uh -huh. that they did in their book. Um, and the books you've written, Foundations of Soul Care. Yeah. Um, you know, we could go popular. I think there's some popular level stuff that's really good yeah. uh, in the spiritual formation literature. Dallas Willard uh, has done fantastic stuff. Um, Gary Moon, um, Larry Crabb, yeah. I think is a, it continues to be, I, I want to claim him for Christian psychology. He used to call himself, you know, a biblical counselor and then, and then you know, <laughs> kind of widely recognized as a, as an integrationist. But I think he's actually become a spiritual formation, Christian psychology guy oh, okay. in the last 20 years. And where, where would one, I mean, to which of his books would you well, go? Well, one of my favorites is a more recent one called 66 Love Letters, which is a, oh, okay. just a fantastic book where he, it, I, I, yeah, let me explain it because it's, yeah. I've never read anything quite like it. He, each book of the Bible, he sets up as a, uh, that each chapter is a conversation between Jesus and the believer, making sense of what the, the soul care value of that book is. Oh, wow. It's a great book. Wow. It's a classic, under underappreciated. With a level of kind of sophisticated psychological insight? Is this, is this? Yes, is yes, though he doesn't use psychological jargon oh, okay. at all, you know, that, so, so, but, but, so it's deeply saturated with Christianity, but, but it's informed by maybe we could say a psychological awareness yes, that takes it deeper it. than a lot of purely theological treatments yeah. of topics. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's others, Diane Langberg is, is great, uh, Sandra Wilson, is great. Um, so these would be some some folks that I especially resonate. Young Young Tan's a friend yes. and a hero. I love his stuff. He and was out for a so, CPT conference oh, that's right. in October yeah, that. and that was, was great. He was great. Hey, everybody. Just a quick note about our annual conference here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. This year's topic is Techne, a Christian vision of technology. And we will be hosting this conference in Chicago on October 14th to 16th, 2019. We have a lot of great speakers lined up, including Andy Crouch, Pastor Charlie Dates, Karen Swallow Pryor, and a great lineup of pastors, scholars, academic theologians, and sociologists as well as tech experts. It's going to be a great set of conversations, and I encourage you to go to our conference website, cptconference.com, to learn more and to register. Let's get right back into our conversation with Eric Johnson on spiritual formation and pastoral ministry. So, as we mentioned earlier in the conversation, there's been uh, uh, a number of high-profile meltdowns of pastors, uh, a couple in the Chicagoland area, and interested in your perspective on that, um, not only as a Christian uh, and, and, and someone who loves the church and uh, has spent a lot of your time training pastors and, and deeply committed to the leadership of the church, but obviously as a Christian psychologist as well. Um, one of the um, things I've spent quite a bit of time thinking about over the last couple of years is the issue of what I call integration. And, and we, we talk about kind of specific definitions of, of that, but, uh, and the idea of being an integrated person and that there's a difference between holiness and wholeness. Mm. There's a difference between um, moral and spiritual formation, um, the things we do to our will <laughs> to strengthen it in character and virtue and wholeness, the healing 
and integrating of of the person, uh, addressing the things that are the way I think about it, and I'd be curious your thoughts that are that are seem to be almost underneath the will or or um, uh, uh, things like compulsions and fixations and emotional reactivity that is hard to um, um, uh, address and deal with directly. Um, so uh, it's also hard to find a verse or a little prayer that immediately. Gets that deep, yeah. No, that's uh, be, yeah. I don't know. No, no, that's right. That's right. And um, and one of the one of the things that I've I've found um, not only heartbreaking about these high profile um, pastoral meltdowns, um, but um, puzzling is is that no doubt these um, uh, pastors are very committed Christians who read their Bibles and love Jesus and love evangelism and love the gospel and believe in justification by faith alone and, and so on and so forth. And yet, um, there are these significant um, areas of their lives that are, are lack integration or, or uh, ref- reflect a little bit on... Um, how you read these these situations and 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 what you make of them and let me let me use some big words sorry um in in foundations for soul care i distinguish it broadly i'm i'm, I'm summarizing a little bit but bios the biopsychosocial dimensions of life of yes. human life and the ethical spiritual dimensions of life so let's just say there's two categories the bible directs our attention to the upper categories, ethical and spiritual. Which is what I'm trying to get at, and I'm not using very good, nearly as good a clean categories. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And I I had to write about this issue because it's so important. And you know- But you affirm the distinction. Very much. Secular psychology has focused our attention and focused its attention on the biopsychosocial realm. That phrase was used at Michigan State in my doctorate. That's where I I first heard about it. But it's obvious to any reader of the Bible that scripture is focusing on ethical and spiritual realities. Yes. God said, look at this. This is the most important stuff of human beings. Yes. And he left to us to figure out how these, the broadly speaking, two aspects of human life are, are, are organically related to each other. In fact, I think what we want to say is that the ethical spiritual emerges out of yeah. the earlier biopsychosocial aspects of, of life that uh, are a part of our human development. So I would, you know, I, I'm, I think it's. I think the scriptures teach a kind of age of accountability that that a, a two-year-old, a four-year-old is not as accountable as a as a fourteen-year-old or as a twenty-four-year-old is. And uh, again, it's 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 indirect. You know, there's a few, but there are a few places where it's brought out, and it suggests when you when you uh, bring the scriptural lens to the literature that's out there on human development that there's a lot of cognitive, emotional processes, relational processes that are unfolding in the first Mm. two years of life that are really important, five years, 10 years of life, before we, uh, the uh, uh, 
uh, we we develop a kind of conscience and volitional capacity that we consider the hallmark of becoming an adult that we reserve for around 18 or 21, mm. where we say, yes, now the person has the resources where we can hold them accountable fully for their decisions. Mm. Now, it's a, it's a mysterious process, and, and obviously at two and four and six, we're, we're cultivating a, with the will and guiding mm -hmm. it, directing it, but it's not become mature yet. It emerges out of that those earlier stages of development. So the question then becomes for us in the 21st century, this is not an anti-biblical question. This is a gloriously biblical question. And I, I, I see God calling us to, to, to understand his mind. And uh, he's omniscient. He's, he knows the whole thing. And, and it's, it's asking the question, how, do, how does this all work together mm. so that we become well-formed human beings in adulthood? And then if we're not well-formed human beings and adults because of various forms of, of genetic yeah. uh, in, insults or uh, damage or um, because of uh, socialization, yes. the effects of being socialized in a fallen world with parents who are sinners and yep. broken themselves, uh, so that we, we as we develop, uh, we our, our structure, our, our mental and emotional and relational structures are damaged. And, and then we carry that into the development of our wills and, and um, more mature character mm -hmm. in adulthood. What do, you, what, what do you do with all that? Oh, it's a fascinating it and I want to say God-glorifying question. Yes. Uh, to be open to that, that we have the opportunity in the 21st century to think thoughts that human beings have never understood before in Christ's name, yeah. seeing it Christianly, taking the research captive for Christ, doing our own research. We need to do a lot more of our own research. Um, but then in order to, th to understand how God views this this amazing, beautiful, unfolding development that mm. he has created. And when you say, Eric, when you say we're, we're, we're privileged to ask questions that have never been asked before, that's because of the... Uh, the um, the advances in the science of psychology, is that right? And understanding so. synapses and brain chemistry yes. and family of origin and emotional systems and all this kind yes. of stuff has a huge impact on the formation of people. Is this, this is what you're yes. saying. You know, um, we, we need to be critical of the secular core of, uh -huh. of, the, of the human sciences in our day. But we must appreciate the common grace that God has given so that there are thousands of studies that have been done with about stunning insight with great insight <laughs> and and that they belong to God and and the Christian community needs to take them captive uh, in Christ's name properly reinterpreting them so that we don't allow secular bias to distort our understanding but that's that's an exciting uh, calling for at least some of us now can I uh, circle back then to the role please. of the pastor in yes, this please, please, in please. this uh, challenge because I don't believe that pastors are responsible to learn psychology. Mm. There is the rare pastor who who is a, a kind of Richard Baxter. Who, mm -hmm. You know, he was up on the latest thinking about depression. I got a great uh, sermon on melancholy that he wrote <laughs> where he talks about soups and broths you have to use for severe melancholy. <laughs> By the way, you know? isn't melancholy just a better word to describe depression? I, I think it's a great word. <laughs> I just you know? like whenever I read that and yeah, older stuff, I'm like, I feel I less depressed. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just, 
somehow yes. it's a happier word to talk yes. about so feeling well. depressed. Yeah. So, you know, I see Baxter as, you know, a, a very special kind of pastor who, uh. who was very aware of the best thinking of his day about the treatment of depression and worked closely with physicians when he worked with people who were uh, so severely troubled by that. But the, if you look at that sermon, the first 10 pages of that sermon is basically good biblical counseling. And I think wow. all pastors should become biblical counselors because they're experts in the Word of God in the Christian community. And the Bible is God's soul care manual, yes. as it were, to, to take care of the bulk of, of soul care needs in a congregation. So I consider pastors to be sort of the on the front lines of the, of the Christian mental health establishment, mm. if I can put it that way. And yes. that the local church is the place where the best and most soul care work needs to be done. But I don't think pastors should feel obligated to read in neuroscience or, or development unless they're interested in it and, mm -hmm. and motivated to want to do more and become more skilled in that area. Because in, in, I think we have to think that the, while the local church is the beginning place of the best soul care, and the kingdom of God is is larger than that. And there are Christian counselors who have additional expertise, who've gotten a master's degree or whatever in, in neuroscience and, 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 and uh, uh, developmental uh, phenomena and, and family of origin stuff so that they can happily refer to mm. folks that are educated in those areas. Now, that's a, it's a challenge to find folks that are compatible with our theology, and mm -hmm. we need to vet that. We need to do a better job of training Christian counselors so that they're more amenable to understanding how union with Christ is foundational to Christian healing. Communion with God is foundational to, to, to therapy, uh, rightly understood, holistically. But, um, but, but there ought to be seen a, a continuum of care in a, in a community the size of Chicago, for example, uh, and, and people working together in the local church with Christian counselors, counseling agencies, uh, even mental health uh, institutions, uh, residential treatment centers, and ideally mental hospitals, which there used to be more Christian mental hospitals than there are now. But um, anyway... If a pastor referring to outside resources, which, as you've said, are part of the kingdom of God and, and the gifts that God's given to his people for, for soul care, I imagine that could be maybe in some instances a tough – a pastor could feel like that's a tough call to make just it, between the resources that – he or she has from their training and then scripture itself. And then there's this entire field of psychology that is most likely outside of the pastor's formal training. Um, how do you prevent it from just kind of becoming like, uh, oh, I guess what I'm getting at is how do you know when it's above your pay grade if you're a pastor? It, I uh, thought a lot about that um, because, I, I, you know, in my classes, I, I used to teach intro to pastoral care and I uh, entered a biblical counseling for a while, and and in those classes, I would hand out a, a list of here are symptoms to alert you to the, the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously things like hallucinations, severe marital conflicts, severe depression, severe anxiety, panic attacks. These are you know indicators that you know that that one might need to refer. So the pastor can then serve as kind of like a triage. Uh, I think that's a, honestly in my ideal mm. world, the pastor would be educated enough to be able oh. to make informed decisions yes. about where should this person go? Great can I handle this? Is there a pastoral uh, a staff person that could handle this? Or should this? Can this we study some require? scripture together and get some resources there? Or 
maybe we need to do that and then add supplement it with something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't want to uh, undersell the the idea of pastors being well read oh. in even in secular literature. You know, there are popular level books that that pastors could read that could help them to become more well acquainted to develop something of the vocabulary. Daniel Siegel's works are an example. I know you've you've benefited from them. So have I, and I've used them as textbooks. Um, and there are others that yeah. that are well written. And in fact, you know, as I think about it here, uh, a you know, a pastor who is a pastoral theologian mm. is going to be able to do some of the best kind of critique and help train his congregation and and maybe even do mentoring with, yes. with students who are going to master's programs that would help to uh, uh, help them to become discerning if they were, yeah, if they were to be mentored. So pastors are probably extremely strategic in that way of bridging the, the huge gaps that exist currently uh, in, in the education of Christians about these matters. Eric, this has been hugely uh, uh, fun and great to, to reconnect with you. And, and we could go on for much greater length, but we're going to need to land the plane for now. But uh, yeah. can we have you back on the, on the podcast? Yeah, I'd like that. That'd talk Enneagram and talk yeah. a bunch of other things as well. Let's do that. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Todd. Thanks, Eric. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, the CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.